Welcome to the Old Pass Podcast. My name is Pastor Benjamin Hicks in London, Ontario, and I'm joined today by a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, Pastor Jack? Sure. I'm uh, Jack Schumann. I'm the pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Um, born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, and uh, served this is my third congregation. Uh, first in uh, southern Alberta, then in Ontario, and been here now for eight and a half years. Wonderful, brother. And uh, the topic today uh, we're going to be discussing is the calling to the ministry. And I was thinking of a, a topic that might be profitable for us to be addressing. I think this is a hugely important one. I think some of our listeners might not be coming from the same denominational background that we are. We we're both ministers in the free reformed churches, but I'm sure all our listeners, regardless uh, of, of their background, they'll be able to profit from the things that we're, we're talking about today. Just for those who may not uh, know, brother, could you be briefly just explain uh, what are the free reformed churches and what, what might be similar denominations that people could relate to? Sure. Well, the free reformed churches uh, are we're a small denomination. Um, scattered mostly across um, Canada and a few churches, three churches in the United States, two in Michigan, one in New Jersey. Uh, most of our churches are concentrated in Ontario, and uh, the membership of these churches is largely composed of uh, immigrants who came from the Netherlands after World War II. And um, they uh, initially uh, were members of the Christian Reformed Church, many of them. Uh, but it didn't take long before they, they sensed that um, something was missing in the preaching in the CRC. And it was mainly that the experiential element and the discriminating element in preaching. And, um, and as a result of that, they began to meet in, in private homes and uh, rented facilities. And, and that's um, how our churches uh, got going back in the early 1950s. And uh, since then, uh, there's been, uh, I would say, a small, modest uh, growth uh, in the denomination. Um, number of new congregations have been added. Uh, membership uh, generally um, uh, stays uh, the same or increases slightly, and we're thankful for that. And uh, we're basically a church that draws its roots from the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Uh, we hold to um, all of the... Uh, the, the doctrines of the Reformation, the, the five points of Calvinism, the five solos of the Reformation, uh, our doctrinal standards are the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, and the Canons of Dort. And uh, so that's the tradition we come from, and we certainly have a lot in common uh, with other Reformed churches and Presbyterian churches as well uh, here in North America. Very good. And uh Listeners might also be familiar with uh, our denominational seminary that we jointly um, work with the Heritage Reformed Churches with, Puritan Reformed Seminary. And as uh, the name indicates, where there's a love for the theology of the Puritans in both the Free Reformed and the Heritage Reformed Churches, reflected especially in that kind of preaching, which is focused on the scriptures, exalting of Christ, but also the work of, of God in the soul and, and conversion and the need to understand those those things. So I think I think we were referring to maybe the deficiencies of of some uh, of some forms of reform preaching. I think that would probably be the difference. Would you say? Yeah, I, th I think preaching lies at the heart of of uh, of who we are. Uh, I mean, it's not 
our, our, our confessions are not distinctive to us because we share those confessions with other uh, Reformed denominations, Canadian Reform, Christian Reform, Netherlands Reform. Um, I think I think what sets us apart and and and, and um, is is our distinctive view of preaching, our view of the congregation. We do not we do not hold to uh, what what we normally call an idealistic view of the congregation, where we regard everybody in the congregation as basically in a state of grace. Um, uh, nor do we hold to a pessimistic view of the congregation, where uh, we think that only a handful of people in the congregation uh, are truly saved. Um, but rather, it's a realistic view, um, and it's one that acknowledges that uh, that there is always going to be chaff among the, the wheat, um, that there are going to be converted and unconverted members in your congregation, people who are self-deceived, um, and the preaching needs to bring that out. It needs to, it needs to preach marks of grace uh, so that we can make our calling and election sure. It needs to warn uh, the unconverted of the great danger that they are in so long as they live outside of Christ. And these are distinctives, I think, in, in fear form preaching, things that we, we are, hold very dear and want to foster uh, because they're vital to spiritual life. You know, you let go of those things and, and um, uh, spiritual life will, will inevitably suffer. Thank you so much, brother. I think that's, that's really helpful. Now, the, the, I think one of the things that might be helpful as we begin this subject is talking a little bit about how... Uh, how it worked in, in your life, feeling the call to the ministry, obviously specific things maybe we can touch on later in more detail, but just uh, to give us a little bit of a, a flyby of, of the Lord's leading in your life in terms of the calling to the ministry, was that something that you always felt that you were always certain about that you were called to be a minister of the gospel? Well, my, my journey into the ministry is a very long one. Um, I, uh, I first came under under a conviction of sin uh, when I was uh, probably around 13 or 14 years of age. Um, I grew up in the Hamilton Free Reformed Church, and uh, the minister we had at that time was Reverend Paul Butter. And um, uh, Reverend Butter was um, a, a faithful man of God and, and could preach quite powerfully and quite convictingly. And it was under his preaching that, that as I said, I first came under conviction of sin. Um, and um, a change came over me. I, I, I began to realize that um, the way I had been living, uh, I couldn't die in that state, and I needed to seek the Lord. And, um, and I believe at that time, the Lord converted me. And very early on, while I was still in high school, I, I struggled with a call to the ministry. And I, I wondered, you know, was the Lord uh, calling me to this? Uh, academically, I was... Uh, I was capable. Um, I, I had good grades. Uh, I had an ability to speak, and and I had um, uh, you know certain natural gifts. Um, but I always felt um, I always had a very high view of the call uh, to, the, to the ministry, and a very high view of the office of the minister, and and it uh, plagued me uh, for for throughout my teen years and into my twenties. You know, who am I like? Um, I just didn't feel worthy of the office, and I and I wanted to make sure that this was not something uh, that that I wanted, uh, but that God was calling me to. And um, anyhow, I I when I finished high school, 
uh, I went to university and I took um, an arts program there uh, with the view to uh, perhaps entering into the ministry. Um, I struggled a great deal uh, throughout my university years. I, uh, I just did not know uh, whether I was called or not. And anyhow, I, I finished at, uh, at McMaster University in Hamilton. I, got, I graduated with my Bachelor of Arts degree. And then I had to decide what to do next. And uh, since I had no clarity uh, on the call, I, I, I paid a visit uh, to one of our senior ministers, uh, uh, Reverend Prunk, who was at that time a minister in St. Thomas, Ontario. And I drove down there and I, I unburdened myself to him. And, um, and he said, he advised me, he said, if, if you're not sure uh, what the Lord is calling you to do, um, he said, why don't you start seminary and um you know start um learning theology and and hopefully the lord will make his his will clear uh to you so i thought that was good advice and and and, and not knowing what else to do I, I i went to westminster seminary in philadelphia uh i went there mainly because sinclair ferguson was there he was the systematics uh, professor there and and i had really um been gripped by his uh lectures that he gave on the marrow controversy uh, they were on cassette tape back in those days. Uh, there was no such thing as podcasts and, and digital. It was all cassette tape. And I went over those tapes. I listened to those tapes probably a hundred times. And, and, and there were issues that were touched on in those tapes that, that really resonated with me because the Hamilton church where I grew up had certain elements of, of, um, of what he was addressing in those lectures and, and things that I really wrestled with in my own understanding of the gospel and, Anyhow, so I went to Westminster and um, I took every course that Sinclair Ferguson offered and um, loved my time there. Uh, I was there for, for two years. I decided I wouldn't take the full MDiv program um, because I didn't want to invest too much time and money uh, into something that might never happen. Well, anyway, at the end of, um, of the two years, I, I still didn't have clarity. I loved my studies. I loved studying theology, but I still didn't have clarity. So I decided that I would uh, apply uh, to Queen's University in Kingston uh, to do my history degree. I was going to get my master's degree in history and possibly go on to do a PhD. And I decided at that time, you know, if the Lord's not uh, going to call me to the ministry, I might as well become uh, a university professor. That, that, was my, that was my goal. So I went to Queen's. And uh, I, I, I did my studies there. And uh, I specialized in, in North American uh, religious history, and uh, my thesis uh, was in an aspect of a church union in Canada, 1925. It was about the uh, the uh, Presbyterian minority uh, who stayed out of the union, out of the formation of the United Church of Canada, and uh, I studied that and wrote a thesis on that and, and, and did quite well. And then um, I had to make a decision again. What am I going to do with my life? And by this time, I'm like you know, 25, 26 years old. And um, I decided I would go to Calvin. Um, I wasn't going to pursue PhD studies. I'd go to Calvin. I'd get my Bachelor of Education degree. And I'd go and teach high school. Well, uh, I was accepted at Calvin. Uh, this was in June. And uh, I had my, literally, I had my suitcases packed. I was ready to leave. And um, uh, I got a phone call uh, from one of our pastors, uh, Carl Scholes, who was at that time minister in Vineland. 
And he, in his usual abrupt way, said, uh, Schumann, what are you doing with your life? And I said, well, nothing. I said, well, I'm, well, nothing. I'm, I'm planning to go to Calvin. I'm going to become a teacher. He says, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, I'm not. He says, no. He says, you're coming to the Vineland Church tonight, and we're going to interview you uh, to become a teacher in our high school. Now, this was a high school that uh, had not existed up until that point. Uh, it was in the, just the formation stages. Uh, there were a number of people uh, from the Christian Reformed Church uh, who left the CRC and were not happy with the liberal direction of the CRC. And so they joined forces with the Vineland Free Reformed Church and they wanted to start a whole new school. And so this is in June and they had they wanted to open up in September. So you can imagine, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of work. Um, but we did open our doors in September. I taught there for six years. And throughout the whole time, um, I still struggled with the call to the ministry and I still had no clarity and I would listen to Al Martin's tapes on the call to the ministry and uh, I would become very discouraged uh, because I just thought you know and I would read Charles Bridges book on the call to the ministry and I and I thought uh, there's just no way I mean it's just such a high calling and the calling is so uh, such a serious matter and um so I kept putting out of my mind. And finally, you know, we had a, at that time, we had a, a shortage of ministers in our denomination. And that really burdened me. And um, I was at a, a fundraising dinner one night. And I happened to be sitting beside a, a lady um, from the Vineland Church who I greatly respected. Um, she was from the Netherlands Reformed background, but had been a member of our church for many years. And um, I say that because, you know, she... Because of her NRC background, uh, she also had a very high view of the call to the ministry. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you want me in the ministry, this cannot come from myself. It has to come from you. It has to come from your people. I said, if, if this is your will, then, then, then just, you know, speak through one of your people and let them say, you know, Jack, we see certain gifts in you uh, that, you know, you should consider uh, how to use those gifts in 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 in, uh, in the ministry of the word. Well, that night I was at this fundraising dinner with with her, and she was sitting right beside me. And we were talking about you know the shortage of ministers in our churches, and she leaned over. I'll never forget. She leaned over. She said, "And Jack, what about you?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Wow!" I said, "This is um, I never expected this," um, and the, and then I had no more excuses anymore. I. I I, I asked the Lord for this fleece, and and He gave it to me, and 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 from there on in, it was just it, it happened so quickly. Um, I I I decided, okay, I, I need to I need to go to my consistory. I need to tell them about my burden uh, to preach and uh, call that I've been struggling with for all these years. I remember Gary Postma uh, came over to our home with another elder. And uh, we talked about it and, you know, he listened to my whole story. He says, Jack, he says, so, you know, I listened to this and I just say, um, I have no doubt that the Lord is calling you to the ministry. So that was another door that was open. And then I met with the consistory as a whole. And, and they also approved my application to go to the TEC. And uh, that was a scary moment for me because a number of my friends had not been accepted into the ministry. They were around my age and there were quite a few men that had been declined around that time and i thought well if you know if, if they were declined uh if they were not accepted what hope do i have but i went and um 
uh, amazingly, um, the committee uh, accepted me as a student, and um, yeah, and 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 the rest uh, is history. I went off to a Puritan seminary with my wife and one son in tow, and uh, so here I am, almost uh, twenty-five years later. Thank you so much for for that history, brother. And I think one of the things that stands stands out to me is how unique it is for every man that the Lord uh, works in each one of his servants that he's calling to the ministry and no two men are exactly the same. So in your own life, I, I hear a lot of uh, unique ways in which it, it worked out for you. Um, and at the same time, I, I can also hear those things that seem to be in, in common for everyone who's truly uh, called to the ministry, that burden for the, the Lord's people, certainly one, one among them. So th thank you for that, brother. And, and maybe also as, as we go through some of these other questions, you can add other things um, to that as well if, if they come to mind. But what I'd like to focus now is having seen how that worked out in your life where you came uh, to that awareness that the Lord was calling you to the ministry. Could could you maybe step back now and kind of define for us what is the, the call to the ministry when, when we think about it biblically? What are those things that everyone who's truly called would, would share in common? Well, I think, you know, the first thing that a man needs to consider is uh, is the qualifications uh, outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Um, these are um, qualifications, not just for elders and deacons, but uh, I think more particularly for ministers. Uh, they're held to an even higher standard, I believe, than, than other office bearers because of the work that they do and, and their calling to preach. Um, I think, um, I mean, we could go through the whole list of qualifications, but um, uh, I think what's really, what's really important um, in 1 Timothy 3 is, is when Paul talks about if a man desires uh, the work of uh, a bishop, um, and uh, I think that desire, that is so important. There, there needs to be a desire, and that cannot just be a fleeting thing. You know, it cannot just be, you know, something as well, I, you know, it, it, another career option. I don't know what else to do with my life, so I might as well do that. Um, no, it has to be a, a burning uh, desire. It needs to be a burden uh, laid upon you by the Lord. We need to know a man who's called to the ministry, I think, needs to have some sense of what Paul says when he when he talks about, you know, woe be unto me if I do not preach Christ. Um, not every man has that to that extent. I think we need to be careful that we don't, you know, uh, uh, compare ourselves to other men, because, as you said, you know, the Lord works differently and gives uh, different degrees of burdens in different areas um, as he sees fit. But but there does need to be this burden for souls. There needs to be um, a burden to preach Christ, a love for Christ, um, a desire to see him proclaimed, a desire to see sinners come to him and submit to him, uh, love him and serve him with all of their hearts. And if that's not there, um, if, if you're, you know, somebody's just looking to the ministry as a, as a, um, oh, I don't know, a, a way to fulfill their own, uh, desires or dreams, or they think it's a cushy life, which it isn't, um, they're wrong. You know, they're not called. 
there needs to be uh, what I this 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 desire, this this burning uh, desire, and that that desire, you know, that that what's also important there is that needs to be confirmed. You know, a man can say, like, I I believe that God is calling me to the ministry, but but the church has to confirm that call. Uh, that is very vital. You know, there there can be an internal call. Uh, we talk about internal external call uh, to the ministry. There is that definitely that internal call is an inner compulsion uh, that God works in our heart by the Holy Spirit uh, that we want to preach Christ and make Him known. Uh, but that has to be um, uh, verified. It has to be um, uh, uh, confirmed by the Church of Jesus Christ through the office bearers of the church, and and I would say even broader than that, the congregation uh, who knows the man. Um, and has seen him function in various capacities. Uh, uh, they need to give their their um, their approbation uh, to this. If that's not there, um, then the man is just putting himself forward. And I think that's a that's a very dangerous thing. God works through His church. Yeah, I think that's such an important emphasis, brother. And I think that, um, as you say, it, it it's a it's a very high calling and a very holy calling. And one of the um, one of the things I think we can sometimes see in a very decentralized congregationalist kind of mentality where, uh, where really there's very little oversight, very little training uh, prior to entering into that role is that you, you can have a lot of people who simply aren't qualified and, and leads to a lot of um, a lot of terrible results. So I really appreciate that emphasis that you're talking about that there's both the internal call and the external call that we do trust that the Lord does work through his church. Yeah, I've seen uh, that uh, firsthand when I was at Westminster years ago, there were quite a number of men there who, um, you know, came really because they themselves felt they were called, but they were not, they hadn't gone through uh, an ecclesiastical process. And and in, in some of those cases, I got to know them because I lived in the dormitory there. And so, you, you know, you live with these guys and, and, and you wonder, you know, like, how did you ever get here? Like, like they were obviously did not have uh, the necessary gifts. Uh, they didn't have uh, a burden for souls. For them, the studying theology was an academic pursuit, largely, from what I could judge. And, um, it, it, you know, I, I think that's why the ecclesiastical dimension is so important. If that's not there, um, you know, these men are heading for disaster. Yeah, and it's all you even see it in the very fact that uh, part of the New Testament scripture, as you say, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, is specifically to direct the church to look for, for these kinds of qualifications. So I think that's kind of what I'd like to transition to now, brother, kind of the different uh, ways in which we can help uh, ourselves and others if if we're struggling with a sense of calling if there's young men or or older men uh, who are listening in to ensure to ensure that it is not just as you say just a fleeting feeling or a, or something that you'd like to do but something that you really should speak to your church uh, about and and speak to your church leadership about um so let's let's uh, talk maybe about uh, one level of that working. Um, suppose I know that not everyone who's, who's called to the ministry, well, maybe I should make that a question. Uh, so Paul talks about how the 
minister should be a one woman man, a one woman. Man. I have heard it argued sometimes that that means that you must be married in order to be called to the ministry that unmarried men are, are not called. Do you, do you happen to hold to that interpretation? Uh, I do not. Although, um, um, I mean, if I held to that, then the Apostle Paul would have disqualified himself because as far as we know, he wasn't married. Um, neither was the Lord Jesus. Um, um, I think the uh, the intent of that is is to say that um, uh, that he needs to be, if he is married, he needs to have eyes only for his wife. Uh, he may not be a flirtatious man. Um, he may not be. Uh, he may. He may not be one who who harbors uh, adultery in his heart uh, for other women. And this is a very dangerous quality to have in anybody in, who's in a leadership position, particularly in the church. And I think that's um, that's what Paul Paul means there. One woman, as you said, a one woman man that he's devoted to his wife. And um, uh, if he has a wife, but again, I don't. I don't see that as a qualification. Uh, for, uh, you know, that one has to be married in order to function in the ministry. It's, it's interesting, brother. Recently, um, I was uh, in interaction with a man who runs a street preaching ministry in, in North America. They're going to be coming to Ontario soon for some um, for some street preaching opportunities. And uh, I was trying to discuss with them, see if there was an opportunity there where I could go out and help. And one of the things that they require, even for just going out to, to preach to the crowd, would be a letter of recommendation from your wife, which I, I thought was interesting. So one of the things that they asked ask her to specify is, is he leading his home in, in a godly way? Are those basic requirements as a husband there? Otherwise, he really should not be in a position where he's engaging in public evangelism. Um, so that's obviously a slightly different scenario, but I'd, I'd like to, I state that just to ask a question. Suppose you have a, a man who is married. Um, obviously, that's something that in, uh, involves his, his wife because it it is a, a very different life when you're a woman married to a minister. Um, what what role do you think a man's wife has in, in discerning whether he's called? Well, I think a huge role. I... Uh, you know, nobody knows us better than our wives do. Uh, they see us not just in public, but also in private. Um, and uh, if you have a godly wife, and I think that's an important qualification, because, um, you know, if, if, if you have a wife, for example, who, who just, you know, who just doesn't want to be in the limelight, doesn't, wants to have sort of an easy life, and, and um, uh, you know, she can have very selfish reasons for, for, for dissuading her husband from entering into the ministry. But if she's a woman of God and, and she has uh, a burden for souls uh, like her husband, uh, then she is an invaluable resource to him uh, because she knows him better than anyone. And, um, you know, and, and she will be able to tell him perhaps better than anyone uh, whether he is or isn't uh, qualified for the ministry. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a difficult thing to say, you know, as church leaders, you know, we sometimes we'll get a man or, you know, like on our theological education committee, we'll get a man who applies and, and uh, you know, there are things that, that come out even in the interview that you kind of wonder about. And, and, uh, and as the man progresses through studies, you know, these same things keep occurring. And it's very difficult at that point 
you know, as, as leaders of the church to say, you know, brother, um, not sure this is really, you know, uh, the Lord is really calling you because, because we're not sure you have the necessary gifts. Well, the best people to tell a man that is, is his wife. There's no question about it. Uh, he'll listen to her much sooner, I think, uh, than he would, uh, in most cases, than, than, than to uh, the church leaders. And brother, you, you mentioned uh, the theological education committee of, of our denomination. I wonder if, um, so maybe a twofold kind of question. One is, could you briefly explain what is uh, what is the role of, of that committee um, in our ecclesiastical structure on uh, helping men uh, be trained for the ministry? And uh, after having gone into that, um, have you ever advised churches or church leaders um, or, or members of the church generally how they can be discerning uh, men who are, are called to the ministry in their own context? Okay, let's take the first part of that. Um, so the Theological Education Committee is a standing committee of the Free Reformed Churches. That means it's always in operation, um, and its, its task is to uh, interview applicants for the ministry and uh, and also supervise their studies. Um, so this committee um, consists of uh, um, mostly uh, ministers. I think, um, well, I don't know exactly offhand, I think six or seven ministers and about four elders, I believe, uh, drawn from <clears throat> across the whole denomination. And um, uh, so we meet together usually twice a year um, and uh, sometimes more often. And so our task, as I said, is mainly to, to interview applicants uh, for the ministerial program in our churches. Uh, now we have a wonderful program in the Free Reformed Churches. We, um, we um, underwrite all of the costs of the education and living expenses of students whom we accept into our program. That's unprecedented. I don't know of another denomination uh, that does that. Um, and it, I think it, it indicates that we, we, we take this very seriously and that we want our students to come under the direct oversight of the church from the very beginning of their studies until the end of their studies. We don't just, we don't believe in just packing them off to seminary and, you know, having them, um, you know, be on their own. And when they're finished, they come back and do their classical examinations or synodical examinations, and then, um, you know, go from there. No, we think that that is best for the student that they come under ecclesiastical oversight uh, throughout the duration of their studies. Um, and uh, so we interview uh, the students and then once, if they are accepted, uh, we, uh, we meet with them uh, twice a year. Uh, they preach for us, they preach a, 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 a trial sermon and uh, we have opportunity to interact with the student uh, about the sermon, we critique the sermon uh, we uh, have a, a discussion with him about various doctrinal subjects along the way. Um, we call them benchmark exams. So we've isolated things like, you know, uh, the covenant of grace, um, the free offer of the gospel, uh, reformed worship, sort of these, these really important matters. And, and we sit down with our students uh, during the course of their study. We talk to them about these matters and uh, try to get a feel for, you know, what they're thinking and, um, and how they're developing. And if we recognize weaknesses, we will uh, recommend a, a remedial uh, study uh, for them. We'll ask uh, our professors maybe to, to, uh, to be aware of this and to help them along with these areas. So it's a good system. And I, I, really, um, I really value um, uh, the role of the Theological Education Committee 
and uh, it's a wonderful committee to serve on. And um, and I think the committee has has on the whole um, has has done a good job. I think uh, over the last number of years, it used to be you know when I was in seminary, uh, the committee didn't have nearly as much of a hands-on role as it does today. And I think um, I think we've we, that's that's a positive thing. We've moved in a positive direction. In, in in that regard, well, I forget now. Your second point was um, second question. Well, that, that that's fine, brother. I just wanted to to get in a, before you go to the second point. And that is, I can certainly echo what you're saying. I I um uh, have uh, dear brothers uh, who've gone into the ministry in other other contexts, and I've certainly been very thankful for uh, the very um, shep shepherdly sort of care and oversight that I had when I was a student, and as well as, as you mentioned, ensuring that those who are going into the ministry in our churches don't go into, that the the families don't go into severe debt and those things by by actually giving that full financial support to the, the man, the family, I think is uh, something that's extremely generous and one that, that of course, comes with responsibility and oversight, but I think it's a very wonderful biblical balance. But so thank thank you for for educating us about the role of the, of the committee, and I think the, the second question was in in that role you you've seen how this has worked out in a number of students. How would maybe you be advising people on the ground, either in leadership of churches or perhaps uh, members of churches, or uh, maybe this, they're part of a family that has men who might prospectively be be looking for. Um, who might be uh, called to the ministry, uh, would you give them advice uh, as far as what is the valid way to encourage or to vet or to to consider a potential candidate? That's a good question. I, you know, um, I think it's really important that, that local church leaders, particularly elders in the local church, that they um, that they be aware uh, of young men, particularly, uh, in their congregations who possess uh, a certain natural giftedness uh, for the ministry and, um, and, and, and a certain godliness and a love for the Lord and a love for his word and a love for his church. And that the, the leaders of the church um, seek in some ways to, uh, to at least uh, impress upon that young man um, the need for ministers uh, of the gospel and that, that at least they lay that before the Lord and ask the Lord, am I called uh, to the ministry? Now, you need to be very careful with that. You don't want to cultivate uh, a call, a sense of call in a man. Uh, a call must come from the Lord. Um, at the same time, church leaders uh, should at least lay this before the young men of, of the congregation, perhaps at a family visit. You know, you could have a young man there who's starting university. You know, you might want to ask him, what are you planning to study? Have you have you thought about um, serving the Lord in full-time ministry? I think there's nothing wrong with a question like that. At least lay it before him and ask him to, to make that a, a matter of, uh, of prayer. Again, there you see the role of the local church, right? It's the local church uh, that has such a, 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 a form, formative influence on, on young men. The leaders of the church should be on the lookout uh, for these men. And they, you know, as, as they 
um, you know, perhaps are taking leadership in, in, in youth groups or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, evangelistic activities in the congregation, uh, sort of, you know, noticing this and, and, um, and encouraging them, you know, uh, to keep pursuing that and lay that before the Lord. I think it's, it's really vital. Yes. And um, thank you, brother. I think that's, that's very helpful. And I think the, the flip side of that, of course, is that I think um, any uh, young man uh, should want to, dis to discern whether they are called. And of course, the Lord has a calling for every one of his, his people. And so not everyone can be fruitful in the service of the Lord, uh, you, which is all I mean to say is you don't have if you're not called to the ministry, it doesn't mean you can't be fruitful in the service of the Lord, but you ought to, to seek to discern that. And so in the same way that you would look for those things, activities in, in the church, activities in evangelism, uh, showing a willingness to uh, love the, the, the bride of Christ in the station that you're at, um, that, that is something that, that as young men, people, uh, that, that they should strive to do. And, um, even thinking about uh, your own your own path, um, would you recommend a sort of similar track of pursuing forms of education that might lead to the manifestation of those gifts and and burdens if uh, young men are considering that? Yeah, I would say if a young man is 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 even remotely uh, questioning whether the Lord might be calling him to the ministry, I think I think he needs to test his gifts. He needs to. Um, he needs to take advantage of opportunities to serve in the local church, um, you know, perhaps heading up the youth group or, or at least being involved in the youth group and, and, and uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, teaching a catechism class when the minister is absent or, or uh, you know, if he's, um, if he's old enough, perhaps serving in office and, and really using his time in office as an elder uh, to to uh, to do his home visits diligently and to really uh, minister to people. You know, you don't have to be an office bearer to do that. You can do that as a as just an ordinary member of the church. You know, visiting the sick. Uh, you know, el the elderly. You know, test your gifts in that way. And um, uh, that you know that that's certainly a, a a means that the Lord uses to 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 call men in into the ministry. If I can go back though to the to the church leaders, you know. It, it, it isn't, I mean, it, it's one thing to encourage men to consider this as a potential calling. Um, but the flip side is that sometimes church leaders should discourage men uh, from pursuing this as a calling. And uh, as I said earlier, that's a difficult thing to do. Um, but you can have a man, for example, who, who's got a real heart. You know, he's got a heart for souls and a love for the Lord Jesus. And all those things are there, but he just doesn't have the natural giftedness. You know, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have gifts of public address, for example. Um, you know, that's a problem. And uh, you, you can work on some of those things for sure. So you have to be careful that you don't, you know, discourage men uh, over things that, that could be worked on. Um, but if a man just doesn't have um, the spiritual gifts, the natural gifts, he needs to be discouraged because it'll lead to a heartache, uh, a lifetime of heartache and pain. Very good word, brother. Well, as, as we transition uh, to the end uh, of our discussion, I was wondering if, if you had any uh, books or sermons 
that you would recommend for those who may be considering these things? I know you mentioned Pastor Martin's uh, sermon series. Um, you said it was discouraging to you, but but would you therefore still encourage others to listen to it? Well, it was it was discouraging, but it was a test for me because you know uh, I remember I remember when I um, when I first told my pastor. Uh, Carl Schulz, um, who he was a minister in Vineland at the time where I was a member, and I told him that um, that I was struggling with the call to the ministry. Um, I'll never forget. He um, he said to me, "Okay," he says, "Come into my study for a minute." You know, there was no like fireworks and oh God, I'm so glad Jack that you feel called to the ministry. He was just very you know very matter of fact about it, and I think there was a lot of wisdom behind that too. By the way. Um, but he brought me into the study and he pulled out his book, a book out of his, out of his library. And it was Charles Bridges, uh, the Christian minister. And he said, he said to me, he said, here, and he, and he gave it to me. He said, read this. And if you're still called to the ministry, come and talk to me. <laughs> and I thought it was a brilliant, it was brilliant because, because, uh, you know, reading Charles Bridges, you know, who has such a high view of the ministry and the qualifications necessary. Uh, Carl Scholz was absolutely right. If you're still called, if you can finish that book and you still feel called to the ministry, that's a real test. I think Al Martin's um, uh, tapes, they're on Sermon Audio, by the way, the call to the ministry. Uh, they've been digitized. Um, um, if Again, I would say the same thing to a young man. If you listen to those tapes and you still feel called, uh, that's a that's that's probably an indicator that maybe you are, uh, because he also holds up a very high view. Uh, those tapes largely have been transcribed now. They're they're part of uh, 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 Pastor Martin's uh, series on pastoral theology, uh, Volume One. Uh, those lectures are basically there, and so you can read them as well. But I think listening to them um, comes across differently. You get the sense. Uh, I mean, there's a certain pathos that with which Al Martin is, is, is well known for. Um, and it, I found those, those, those lectures gripping. Uh, um, in so many ways. I believe the, I believe the title is the man of God, the man yeah. of God. There's three volumes. So yeah, I would heartily, heartily recommend that, uh, that as well to listeners. Was there anything, anything further that you'd say, uh, in addition to those works that, that people should pay attention to? Well, there's, you know, Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon's uh, lectures to my students is also uh, really important. I think if you can read those three uh, works and um, uh, prayerfully and lay that before the Lord. And of course, there is, you know, uh, talking to your church leaders. Um, it's vital. Talking to your family, talking to your friends. They're the ones who know you best. Uh, take a close friend and in confidence, tell them, I'm struggling with a call to the ministry. What do you think? And if he's a real good friend, he'll tell you. And if he's a godly man uh, or woman, uh, they'll tell you. And uh, and listen to that. You know, don't just you know dismiss that and say, "Well, I know better." No, because the Lord speaks through His people. He speaks through His church, and you need to take that very seriously. Uh, what other people say about you. Um, now, there may be things that don't necessarily disqualify you, but things that you definitely need to work on. And that's that's just a good thing, you know. That's 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 part of the process. Thank you, brother. That's very helpful. Just as we we come to a close, was there anything that uh, you'd really like to touch on or to leave our listeners with uh, that we haven't yet said in in this interview? Well, we've been talking about the call to the ministry, and I just you know um, 
the life of the minister, it's not an easy life. Um, uh, it comes with its shares of uh, its share of trials and hardships and tensions. Um, uh, but it is um, it is a wonderfully uh, um, what, what do I say? It is it is the highest calling uh, that a man can ever receive, and it is a, the greatest privilege uh, to be able to be a minister of the gospel and to preach his word, uh, to minister to his saints, to be a servant in the churches is uh, is is the greatest calling a man can ever have. And um, you know, there's a great um, uh, lack of uh, ministers in the churches today. Uh, I'm not just talking about reformed churches. I read a statistic the other day that you know shocked me how many men resigned from the ministry after you know only a few years. And um, you know the gospel has to go forth, and and it pleases God to use uh, men like us, you know, weak, empty vessels, uh, to proclaim His word, to gather in His church. And um, uh, so, if there's anybody listening to this podcast. Uh, young men who are struggling with this, I, I urge you, um, bring it before the Lord and uh, plead with him. You know, if it is your will, Lord, then lead me uh, to the ministry because the need is so great. You know, Jesus said, fields are white with harvest, right? We say that many times and it's so true, but the labors are so few. And we, what the church needs, also here in North America, I mean, the whole world needs gospel ministers, but but even in North America, you know, in the Western world, which used to be the cradle of Christianity, we need gospel ministers again. Um, and uh, so I hope and pray that this podcast may be used for that end. Thank you so much for your time, brother. And if uh, this has been a helpful podcast to you, we'd love to get feedback. You can reach me at benjamin.g.hicks at gmail.com. And I can also get you in touch with Pastor Schumann, if you have further questions for him. Until next time, God bless.